When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. And if you'd like to get deeper into Strange Planet, you might want to think about a premium subscription. Just click on the link in the episode notes. It's strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm, strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm. You get uh, commercial-free listening, access to bonus episodes, and a subscription to my monthly newsletter inner sanctum strangeplanet.supportingcast.fm so we're going to talk about a, a groundbreaking paranormal documentary it's called a flash of beauty and it delves into the world of bigfoot the legendary and enigmatic creature that has captivated the imagination of people worldwide and this film takes a unique approach by exploring the paranormal aspects that go beyond the flesh and blood theory often associated with Bigfoot sightings. And it blends eyewitness accounts, expert interviews, and compelling evidence to shed light, a new light on this enduring mystery. Tobe Johnson is uh, the author of the Owl Moon Lab books and a researcher of all things related to Bigfoot. With over a decade of research and his own experience, he's dedicated his work to investigating the relationship of Sasquatch and the paranormal. Tobe is the co-producer of the documentary Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. It's a groundbreaking two-part documentary series that focuses on Sasquatch witness testimony. Tobe has come to the conclusion that Sasquatch is not only very real, but is far beyond what most of uh, most would have you believe. Tobe Johnson, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? Hello, Richard. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. Brett Eichenberger is an award-winning filmmaker with over 25 years of experience working in the film and video uh, production industry. His work includes the feature films Light of Mine and Pretty Broken, commercial short films, music videos, and documentary shorts. And filmmaking has taken Brett around the world, but he feels most at home in the outdoors of the Pacific Northwest, or as a friend of mine calls it, the Pacific North Weird. As a native Oregonian, Brett's been intrigued by Bigfoot since his childhood years, and this documentary has given him the opportunity to explore the topic in depth. Brett, welcome to Strange Planet. How are you? I am great, Richard. Thanks for having me. Both of your backgrounds with Sasquatch. I know you've been fascinated, Brett, since uh, you were very young. What about for you, Tobe? When did it begin? Well, it was always just a nagging thought. You know, it was always on the periphery living in the Pacific Northwest. You can't really get away from it. It's what you're going to do with it. Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to pursue it? And um, my son and I happened to find a, a single track 
you know, a barefoot, naked, human-looking track, circa 2005 time frame near the town of Springfield, Oregon. And so that just kind of pursued father and son interest. And that's how the, the whole thing began, was really just on a innocent hike, finding a single footprint in the icy mud near, near Springfield, Oregon. And uh, Brett, how about for you? You know, uh, like, like I said, or like you said earlier, I've been interested in Bigfoot ever since I was a little, little kid. I, I don't remember when I wasn't interested in Bigfoot. And growing up here in the Pacific North, weird. I'm going to use that, by the way. Um, you know, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. And even though I live in a, in a huge metropolitan area of Portland, Oregon, we're surrounded by forests. And I've already done the research. And we've had Bigfoot sightings within 5 to 10 miles from where we live in the suburbs. And so we're surrounded by them. And, you know, I've just always been interested in the paranormal and so, you know, anytime I go out into the wilderness, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of looking around for Bigfoot. And so when the opportunity came during the pandemic to finally do a documentary about Bigfoot, both Jill, the co-producer, um, or the producer, I should say, Tobes, the co-producer, and I decided to go on a Bigfoot adventure. And we had no idea where it would take us. So talk about, there's uh, part one, which is uh, Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, and part two, Flash of Beauty, Paranormal Bigfoot. Uh, how, do they, how do they differ? So what we quickly realized in the first month or so of the production of um, Bigfoot Revealed was that there was too much paranormal for us to squeeze all of this into one film. Um, I should say just too much content in general. I mean, there are so many incredible stories and it would take us years to, to, to tell them all properly. So what we realized was we were going to have to take um, the content and split it up kind of not unlike the way that some of the Bigfoot communities split up between the flesh and blood and the quote unquote woo. And so um, we, we got the first film finished. We put it out there. In fact, we were criticized because we didn't talk about the paranormal. Um, you know, I've read some, some critiques where people are saying, well, wait a minute, there's a whole other side. And we're addressing that side now. We wanted to give it its own movie, its own attention, because the fact of the matter is, is the data doesn't lie. The, these people that are experiencing these things are as honest and earnest and as ordinary as you could imagine. And so we wanted to give it the proper treatment. Is there a, I always hesitate lumping people together and calling them a community. Mm -hmm. um, but in the Bigfoot community, I did it. Uh, <laughs> is there the kind of divide, schism, let's say, between those who, who believe this is just a flesh and blood creature, it's um, a, a remnant from, you know, some other era uh, that still exists in small pockets, a schism between that camp, let's say, and the those that ascribe paranormal attributes to this creature. I mean, and is it similar, let's say, to I don't know, in the, in the UFO community, you've got two camps. UFOs are, uh, you know, ET is is uh, bad, and ET is, you know, are are whites in shining armor. You want that one, Brett? Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, there is. Uh, there's a there's a divide. I think that the divide is closing in on itself, just given the data that we have with the UFO evidence coming forward, because there is so much cross contamination between uh, UFO witnesses and, and Bigfoot witnesses, and it really can't be ignored for much longer. So 
um, like we were saying a couple of weeks ago that, you know, most of these conferences, uh, we just got back from one in Vernal, Utah, Phenomicon, and there's a fair amount of um, Bigfoot enthusiasts, witnesses, researchers there, along with the evidence from Skinwalker Ranch. And I think that's for a reason. Um, I think you know, the evidence is all whether or not the world of the flesh and blood, the apers, as we lovingly call them, people that believe this is a relic hominid. Um, and that's about it. This this gap is closing. Wouldn't you agree, Brett? Yeah, I think I think it is closing, especially, you know, I first found out about this divide back in 2012 when we really started getting into uh, the world of Bigfoot, just just kind of as fans. Um and just wanting to know more, I had no idea that there was even a woo side of it. And when I found out about, you know, th these tracks that would just stop in the snow and they weren't, wouldn't turn around, they would disappear, the orbs, the lights and all this other kind of thing. Um, I was very, very skeptical because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that if, you know, if you're an experienced Bigfooter and you've had multiple interactions with them, you at some point or another have had a paranormal experience with them, whether it's mind speak or it's orbs or missing time or any number of things that also coincidentally involve UFOs and abductions. So you just kind of hit on a bunch of different paranormal phenomena that's linked to Sasquatch, um, disappearing footprints as if there's some, I don't know, hyper dimension involved here. Uh, you mentioned orbs, you mentioned UFOs, you mentioned mind speak or telepathy. Um, I've heard the term psychic Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. um, maybe just share some, some case studies where some of these paranormal attributes uh, came to the fore. Well, we have a story in the Paranormal Bigfoot about a man named Rick Taylor. And Rick Taylor um, had had a sighting with his son one evening in Texas, not far from Dallas, I believe. And he and his son were night fishing, uh, which I'd never heard of. I didn't know you could fish at night, but they were night fishing and they had an encounter. And just like anybody else that's had a Bigfoot encounter, you kind of become addicted. You know, you want to you want to see it again or you want to experience it again or you want to learn more. There's really no go, going back from that. And so um, Richard found out about a woman named Arla who lived north of him in Oklahoma. And he contacted her and he said, I'd like to come up to your property. I understand that you have, you've had interactions with Bigfoot for over 50 years. I want to see if I can see one, if I can experience one. And so he got up there and, um, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but he had a mind speak experience, which was totally new to him. He'd never had something like that happen to him before. And the mind speak experience that he had, um, and when I first heard the story, I got chills because it's, I'll just leave it at this. It's deep. It's, it's, it's very deep on so many different levels. Um, talk to me about the, the relationship between Sasquatch and uh, orbs. Uh, I don't know, just give me maybe an example of how people see uh, Bigfoot and, and, and how orbs enter into this. There's uh you know, and I know Tobe can, can kind of extrapolate on this too. Um, there seems to be some sort of relationship between the two. In other words, people will see orbs at about the same time they see Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, the, the famous um, Sierra sounds 
um, Ron Moorhead and the Sierra Sounds. They saw orbs up there. Um, not often, but they would see them. Um, and we have another woman in our film, Ashley Stinnett, who has had many, many orb sightings, hundreds of orb sightings. Um, and some of those have correlated to Bigfoot. Some of them have not. Some of them have been um, captured on video, which we, we show in our film. So there, there, there seems to be some sort of relationship. There's all kinds of different theories as to what they are, you know, whether they're the spirits of Bigfoot, whether they're Bigfoot entering this realm. Um, and again, I, you know, Tobe can kind of extrapolate on that a little bit more. <clears throat> well, you know, if Simeon Hine was here, he'd have a, you know, a, a much more intelligent, cohesion, <clears throat> scholar, scholarly answer than we do. Uh, he's in our documentary talking about something called relic neutrinos, which are basically the building parts of all of us that still exist from the Big Bang and can go from basically, uh, they can change matter from light to physical beings. That's that's the theory anyway. And um, so he's kind of the anchor for this documentary as the rest of the witnesses, including myself, talk about these light anomalies. And early on, after this initial print was found from my son, I got to know that there were these two camps, these two communities, and this other community, the Ron Moorhead types, were saying, you know, there is this other side, this attribute uh, to Sasquatch that is totally unexplainable. And you will eventually see UFOs in the proximity of probably, you know, Bigfoot habitat, Bigfoot hotspots. Um, and that gets into these place names, which we talk about, which are names all over the, you know, the globe. All, you find a map, it has a crazy name like Devil Mountain, you know, um, Wendigo Ridge, things like that. And these are you know, places where the veil is thin and these lights seem to appear more often than not. One of the first places I saw them was near a place called Skookum Creek. Uh, they presented themselves like, um, they look like a headlamp, maybe a hundred yards off as the sun went down. That's what we took them as. And then uh, that was preceded by close up encounters right over the tree line of different colors, uh, usually volleyball shape and size to softball shape and size very hard to explain they have their own self-contained light to them but you know here we are next to skookum skookum creek this is the old indian name for bigfoot and that night we had rocks thrown at us um, later on we would have a log thrown near our campsite um, so there th that was one of the you know initial steps you know for me that personally said this isn't a waste of my time to look at these other avenues be being related i also want to add too really quick that um the, a lot of people out there that, that are familiar with the ghost community will will know that there's a lot of orbs that are captured in haunted houses and stuff like that and there there, there is a difference between um what we're talking about and sometimes what you'll you might see in pictures uh, there's a lot of times, and, and this gets kind of technically you know, into the way that a camera functions, but there are a lot of times where you might get a raindrop or indoor dust particles or whatnot, and, and those will look like orbs, but they're not necessarily orbs. You, they're, they're translucent. You can see through them, and that all has to do with the way that the, the flash fires and the way that the shutter works in the camera. So what we're talking about are actual physical glowing balls of light that people see with their eyes. It's not something they're picking up in a still frame or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I just want to be very specific on, on what we're talking about so people can really start forming an idea in their mind. Um, Dr. Simeon Hine talks about ball lightning. Mm -hmm. and, and there's some people out there that are familiar with ball lightning. It's the same, 
we think that it might be the same kind of um, mechanics and dynamics. That anticipated my my next question was was about um, ball lightning because I've I've spoken to Simeon a couple of times and you're right. I mean, he's just he 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 takes a real deep dive into this. It's it's absolutely fascinating, and I know people will enjoy him in in the film. Uh, is there a paranormal um, attribute that we we haven't talked about that people might be shocked, surprised to know that is somehow associated with Bigfoot? We haven't talked about cloaking yet. No. Um, and there's some people out there that might be a little surprised about cloaking. Um, you know, again, that's another example of a story that we have in our film. Um, you know, in a number of years ago, this, this particular video um, got quite a bit of views on YouTube. And, and basically, it's a cloaked Bigfoot that was taken by you know, Barb Shoup. Uh, middle of the day in near Mount Rainier, just outside of Mount Rainier National Park. And um, this video is very compelling. You know, I was skeptical when I first saw it. I asked Barb if I could have the original footage from the camera. That's very important to me. I want to make sure it wasn't tampered with or hoaxed. And I went through it and I looked to debunk it. And, you know, that's what we need to do as researchers. So I went through it and I went through it and I went through it and I went through it. And I, you know, I kept checking boxes going, no, this is real. This is real. This is real. And finally I got to the exhausted my list and the hairs literally went like this. And then I, it was then I, and they are right now, it was then that I had realized that I was looking at something absolutely extraordinary. Something that, that to me is on the same level, the Patterson Gimlin film in the realm of the paranormal. And I know that's a lofty comparison, but I really believe it to be true. And um, we, you see a, you clearly see a figure that is cloaked. It looks like Predator and it turns and it runs away. And we show it multiple times in the film. So, so, you know, it's not hard to miss, but we do show the original footage and it's hard to see in the original footage. Mm -hmm. What's very interesting about that is that Barb Shoup, as she was recording the footage, saw a black figure turn and run. It cloaked on camera, but it didn't cloak in real life. Oh, interesting. Stunning stunning and i mean you talk about advanced intelligence there's a great example of it right now so i took that footage and i showed it to eric bard the the head scientist of skinwalker ranch tv show and of skinwalker ranch and uh he was at a loss of words he didn't know what to say gentlemen we'll take a quick time out come back and uh continue to delve into paranormal bigfoot stay with us Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Welcome back. A Flash of Beauty, a groundbreaking paranormal documentary delving into the world of Bigfoot. And Brett Eichenberger and Tobe Johnson are here. Um, so Sasquatch, obviously not just an animal. Uh, what have you been told or, or maybe experienced that clues you in on, on what they might actually be? That one's for you, Tobe. Hmm. Well... You know, they are flesh and blood to a greater degree than, you know, um, a lot of people in the paranormal community are willing to talk about. There is this physicality to them. There is this 
latent DNA. There's, there is this trace evidence that you can find. There's footprints. There's hair. They're they're more than spirit. They're more than these light forms. However, um, you know what is that? What is the ability to go from something physical to this energetic? These variables between both worlds. You know, the Native Americans said that they do live in both worlds. That was one of the first clues I had that they were able to do that. And um, you know, I think that they are an old land spirit of some kind, uh, you know, an ancient land spirit. That sounds pretty, you know, rabbit hole-ish, I get it. But there is this uh, there's unwavering story, this narrative here that they are totally connected to the land. And you know, this uncomfortable idea that they somehow cloak, I think, you know, we can we can lean into the fact that people have seen I've interviewed people that have seen Sasquatch go into trees. Now, they don't mean behind trees and up the trees. No, they mean into the actual bark of the tree. I've talked to at least three people that have witnessed that. And it's preceded by these strange thump or knocking sounds, um, which lends us to believe, you know, is Bigfoot just a primate knocking on trees? I don't know, because this idea of knocking on wood is an old thing. I mean, we do it for good luck. Um, these are things that we need to start delving into and um, maybe looking into the mystery of like the green man. Interesting. The idea that they can cloak, that they they seem to be able to um, move from one dimension into another uh, doesn't bode well for ever getting any sort of, you know, that that smoking gun piece of definitive proof like a body, right? No. No, and that's a that's a discussion that we have in our first film. You know, although we don't touch on the paranormal side of things, uh, we touch on the fact that um, you know, let's just say that they are flesh and blood that die here on Earth, and their bodies left here on Earth, as opposed to the other dimension. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons as to why it's difficult to find a body. Um, I think the you know, there's a lot of people out there, a lot of researchers out there that believe that they bury their dead. And I've heard natives talk about that specifically about how they've actually found, you know, the, the areas, the cemeteries, the graveyards, whatever you want to call it. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, whatever their mission is here on earth or what, whatever you want to call it, they, uh, their first priority is to stay secretive. You know, with with some exceptions to that rule and the, the exceptions to that rule, I think, pertain to certain people that are either at the right place or the right time or they're um, they've got the mind to comprehend seeing something like that or and or the Bigfoot can sense that this person is somebody that they can have a relationship with. Um, getting back to the, the uh, UFO aspect. Um, has a Sasquatch ever been seen um, entering or exiting a UFO or interacting with extraterrestrials? Well, I know I've spoken to Linda Moulton Howe on one occasion. We had an email correspondence in uh, the late uh, 2010, I think it was. And um, I wanted her to come speak at a conference I was putting on. And she said, I'd be happy to talk about Bigfoot, you know, one of the other aliens, because they've been seen along with other abductees and craft as though they've been taking along for the ride. Um, I've spoken to people that are part of this APER community have told me, 
you know, after a couple of beers that, hey, you know, I have this trusted friend that was, you know, skiing on the back of Mount Hood and they swear they saw Bigfoot, you know, being zapped up into a blue beam of light into a craft. Um, certainly Skinwalker Ranch talks about hairy humanoids coming out of orange orbs over the mesa, stepping out. Um, yeah, so there, there is this, uh, this nagging link be- between the two. And I think this is where the research is heading. Uh, you know, I'm grateful to have Brett alongside me here looking down the strange path right now, because really, you know, you get a lot of arrows in your back in the beginning, you know, 2005, nobody was really looking into this uh, that much and that heavy, except maybe Ron Moorhead and a few others. But uh, for the most part, you know, it's the same evidence over and over again, the trackways, the hair, there, there's so much more out there. These 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 entities these beings that seem to have a language they seem to have a culture they seem to want to engage humanity they seem to come to people's homes even at great distances much like a poltergeister haunting or uh, an et contact um you mentioned the language which brings us back to ron moorhead and the sierra sounds how would you describe the sierra sounds to someone who hasn't heard the audio they are they've been coined there was a term that was coined that was they, they called them the samurai sounds and it it, it fits i mean um they kind of sound like samurais arguing with each other you know um they they definitely seem as if you were to cross a human talking really fast and a an ape an agitated ape you know, um, I've heard some people compare it to Asianic, other Asianic languages, such as Vietnamese. Um, but it's, a, it's definitely a very strange language. And I think, you know, I played it for a friend of mine who's, she's very, still very skeptical on Bigfoot. And she laughed when she first heard them. But when we listened to him over again, it was a total change when she started kind of digesting what these sounds were and how these sounds were being made. When you really listen to them closely, you start thinking to yourself, These, this is not something that has the lung capacity of a human to go so high and so low um, like this, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and um, is the Ron Moorhead recordings, the Sierra sounds, is is that isolated or or has or that been kind of uh, corroborated with other recordings? Yeah, it has been cooperated. Um, you know, Scott Nelson is a Navy cryptolinguist that has been working with Ron as, uh, you know, just an interested party that found Ron on the Internet. Uh, but he has the background as a cryptolinguist to really take these parts uh, the, of these sounds apart and understand them as what is called morphine streams, which are basically meaning and tone and uh, without actually description of what they're saying. You get this human quality in there that is language. Um, you know, I, we've recorded sounds in, in our story at the Al Moon Lab that are very similar in tone, language, and these morphine streams. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. I think when, just like Ron had his activity, he was isolated in a place they were familiar with him. It was almost like his little second home. He was coming there quite a bit during a period of time. In fact, um, you know, before the 1950s, as uh, you were saying, Brett, uh, they were coming up to the Sierra camp. Now, our place in the little town of Cottage Grove, Oregon, again, 
We were very interested in the subject matter. It was a secluded environment near a Bigfoot area. They were coming in and out of that area, interacting with us. And eventually, using audio equipment is totally different than using camera equipment. Whatever's going on with the permission slip, we just don't have it with video. We seem to have it with audio. And so, yeah, there, there is cooperation beyond just us getting what I would call, you know, samurai chatter. But um, there's, there's other recordings out there as well. A guy named David Ellis, uh, who should have a book coming out soon about this, uh, talks at, at length about that. All right, uh, Tobe and Brett, we'll take another time out, come back and uh, delve further into paranormal Bigfoot. Stay with us. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We are back with Brett Eichenberger and Tobe Johnson, A Flash of Beauty, a two-part documentary series. How do we screen it, gentlemen? So uh, Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Reveal is available now on Amazon. It's on Tubi. It's on Vudu. It's on Google Play. It's on YouTube um, uh, for rent on YouTube. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's all over the place. A Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot will be available in all of those same places on October 17th. Uh, the trailer is online right now on YouTube. All right. What about for you two personally? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you've had some relatively close encounters. You've had rocks thrown at you, logs thrown in your direction, but um, is that the extent of it or have you had anything, I don't know, up close and personal? Yeah, it's a it's an extensive story, but the quick and short of it is I talk about Sasquatch contactees and myself and a property owner by the name of Daryl Adams uh, had uh, ourselves in proximity to a Bigfoot location in a little town of Cottage Grove, Oregon. Brett, as well as Jill um, and the cameraman Mike, uh, were all invited to this this house to experience the strangeness, not only at the location, because eventually the house did sell but this was one of those window areas where the phenomena started in the tree line it started with bigfoot whoops knocks and what i would call gifting um where they bring gifts and you return gifts and there's this exchange program going on but also sightings but it ended someplace completely different than that it ended in you know the world of the poltergeist it ended in outer space looking up at two in the morning at strange chandelier lights you know, uh, dropping little lights over the power lines into the trees. And this was, you know, this was what was fascinating to me is that the, there was so much cross-contamination with these other paranormal phenomena that it was, it was very difficult not to say this was a place very, you know, reminiscent of uh, Skinwalker Ranch or any of these other ranches out there. And so, and I don't think it's just confined to, you know, places that are, uh, set apart like this out in the middle of nowhere. I think people have these window areas and these other little hot spots all over and that they they seem to ebb and flow based upon maybe who the individual is, maybe what they have in their house that's unique to that location, maybe the geology. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's a lot to this story here. And in, in the documentary, we get close and personal with 
UFOs connected to, to Sasquatch way beyond my story. How about you, Brett? So we've had a variety of interesting um, situations, I guess, or experiences. Um, we've seen eyeshine, um, which, you know, that's, a, that's actually another phenomenon that we haven't discussed. And eyeshine is that they, they create their own kind of bioluminescent glow behind their eyes. This is not a situation like a deer in headlights where eyes, the light's reflecting back. This is kind of like a bioluminescence. And um, we saw that in the Midwest, both myself, Jill, and Mike saw that. Um, and I have a photo of uh, uh, some snapshots that are in the documentary that kind of show the almond shape of an eye. For whatever reason, I only got one eye. I don't know if there was a branch. I just made a heart somehow. That was very unintentional. <laughs> um, but anyways, <laughs> their eyes kind of looked like those red hearts that were floating across the screen a second ago. Um, and I, so I put that in the film and you can see the almond shape. Um, we've had, we've heard extremely loud wood knocks. I was down in the owl moon wilderness, which is featured in the film. And I was knocking on a tree being kind of a jerk to the Bigfoot people in the area and, uh, wasn't getting any reaction, wasn't getting any reaction. I think I did it maybe 10 times. And then, you know, granted we're out in the middle of nowhere and, all of a sudden I got a response back and it was loud and it was direct and it scared the heck out of me. And I knew it was kind of like, shut up, you know, we get it. <laughs> it was very to the point. Um, and it was unmistakably the sound of wood on wood. Um, and we've had, I mean, just for instance, last week we were doing an interview um, on our latest film about Ron Moorhead. Um, that'll be out sometime late next year. And we had a Pelican case that was wide open that container camera equipment. And we were talking about communicating with Bigfoot and the case shut. It's just slammed shut. There was no wind. There was no nothing that would explain why something like that would happen. So we get, we get small little reminders of them kind of almost saying like we're here or we're there or, or whatever. Um, and it, it happens virtually at every shoot. Um, what about the, um, the infamous odor associated with Sasquatch? Um, what, what do you think that's all about in, in light of all of these, you know, paranormal attributes? Does it have something to do with that or? You know, I don't know. One of the more interesting theories, um, we didn't shoot this in our documentary, is that uh, they have some kind of bioweapon that they utilize to protect their young. A gal by the name of Brenda Harris chronicled her place out on the Four Corners area, and she was having constant activity. There was an irrigation pipe that uh, was taken apart and spun 180 degrees. I think it was over like 30 feet long or something like that. And all the gaskets were ripped off of it. And blood trail was found on the white plastic. And inside this irrigation tube was uh, a mutilated skunk. And something had grabbed the skunk, been chasing after it in the irrigation pipe, and then squeezed it and went only after the scent gland. Um, I think that's pretty interesting to note that, um, you know, A, they're having Bigfoot activity, something spun this giant irrigation pipe, and then only went after one thing here. So I hate to sound like ancient aliens, but what if they grab the the old scent gland there and save that for some kind of protection device? Because witnesses will describe a, a skunk type of smell along with feces and death and all the other beautiful uh, odors. Um, what about... 
I mean, here's another you know schism, I suppose, in the the the, the, the Bigfoot cams. One that this creature is um, capable of being incredibly menacing, even threatening or aggressive, uh, and others who think this is um, you know this passive, beautiful spirit that you know does not want to harm anything. Part of the reason we called our film A Flash of Beauty is because, uh, you know, Stan Avery, who's in the first film, talks about how you see them and then in a flash of beauty, they're gone. And we wanted to kind of dispel this myth that they're all monsters. There's been this kind of generalization that they're all monsters um, or they have some sort of aggressive behavior. And of course, Hollywood hasn't done us any favors with some of the movies that have come out. Um, you know, I. I tend to tell people that they're just like people, you know, um, there are good people and there are bad people. And I think there's good people and there's, I mean, there's good Bigfoot and there's bad Bigfoot. You know, there's some, there's definitely in the Northwest, there are some tribes that are kind of known as, or clans that are known as aggressive. You know, like there's a clan near Mount St. Helens that's known as being aggressive. You know, I think that anytime that somebody sets foot into their territory, and they're trying to protect something or they don't want you to see them, they're going to do things to try and get rid of you. Throwing rocks, making scary noises, um, whatever they can to be intimidating. But on the flip side of that, there are maybe potentially thousands, more than thousands of people in this country alone or in North America alone that have relationships with them that are um, you know, gifting-based, that have a humanity to them that I think a lot of people wouldn't believe. Some of the humanity that goes in, in the gifting, some of the personalization that goes through the gifting, you know, and that's something more that Tobe and, you know, Daryl have experienced and Tobe can, can kind of extrapolate on that. But they're, they're, they're certainly, and they're certainly curious and they have a sense of humor as well. And, and being that they have a sense of humor shows a great deal of intelligence. What is the appropriate gift for a Sasquatch? I mean, what, talk, talk to me some more about this gifting. What, is, what, what kind of gifts are exchanged? You can get away with a lot with Sasquatch. Um, you, can, you don't have to spend the big dollars. You can end up at the Dollar General. They're, they're plenty happy with a, a jar of peanut butter, turns out, which is a buck 25 in Oregon. But um, one thing, I mean, I can tell you what they're not fans of based upon what happened to us in Oregon, what they are fans of, usually shiny things stones um seem to be a big one um they seem to bring stuff what i would call like a sasquatch goodwill they seem to have uh, items that you would find at a campsite or in the dump which i think is apropos to this discussion that have a bit of a patina on them of mud or moss wear and tear um they're aged items they can be broken small to big right from muddy cell phones to thermoses to the everything in between and these items will be inexplicably laid or set someplace that you just were and sometimes they're objects of significance based upon what you're thinking about or what you need now you know this is how you rule out hoaxing really quick is that these items express themselves in people's locked homes they express themselves at far distances in their locked car and yet they seem to be attributes of sasquatch just based upon the nurturing aspect of giving and receiving these gifts in these hot spots. Um, so that's that's been my experience with it. And, you know, Brett and Jill, after I moved from away from this place, had kind of went down and nurtured the activity 
in one of these hot spots and saw for themselves the give and take of what was happening there. So that's what I always say is don't take our word for any of this stuff. You can go do this on your own if you want to go play Bigfoot. Um, they're just out there waiting. Uh, what about uh, glyphs? I think that's the term. Uh, I had a gentleman on from British Columbia several years ago who uh, said that he was communicating with, with Bigfoot and they would take sticks and and shape them and twist them into different symbols. And they were communicating. They didn't really know what these glyphs meant. But um, is that something that you hear from people, uh, contact, Sasquatch contactees? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the witnesses we talked to in Paranormal Bigfoot calls them glyph Latin or something to that effect, which I think wood, is wood pretty... Wood Latin, yeah. Wood Latin, wood Latin which is yeah. exactly what it reminds you of. Now, finding these things out in the forest and saying these are glyphs laying out in the tree in the trails, I have a problem with that just because it's not a controlled environment. But if you can have a controlled area and the same blasted four twigs are making what I can only call like a runic alphabet symbol in different shapes and patterns. And they're moving objects. In this case, we would put objects in these glyphs to see if they would take the objects or move them out or add something. Now we have a story going here. So I think, you know, in our case, we chronicled 24 unique shapes uh, from these same four sticks over and over again that they would make. Now, nobody knows what they mean anybody that says that they know what they mean run for the hills i don't think we know what these things mean yet they haven't told us um but uh you know it does happen now what that that's just the beginning of what they do with sticks i mean we're talking small sticks living trees they use we're talking uh, giant limbs and you know i was sent a picture the other day underneath mount rainier where someone uh, had witnessed a giant a cedar tree that had been plunged into the earth with the root ball sticking up. Um, I have to tell you about that one later, uh, Brett. But yeah, this is something that, uh, you know, they they love working with wood. <laughs> yeah. A veritable Bob Vila. Right. <laughs> Bigfoot Vila. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned um, Sasquatch contactee, which I'd never heard before. I mean, are there other similarities between Sasquatch contactees or are there any similarities, I guess, uh, between Sasquatch contactees and uh, UFO experiencers? Brett? You might have a better one, better answer than I. I don't think, I mean, in the documentary, we get, really get into it. We're trying to save, especially the ending, um, you know, of this film, we just got back from Phenomicon in Vernal, Utah, home to all sorts of strangeness in the in the basin there in Utah. Um, we had a UFO witness come to Flash of Beauty after I'd met him. You know, we all stayed at the same hotel and all the great Bigfoot and UFO stories start about six in the morning down in the uh, breakfast nook at the Holiday Inn in Vernal. If anybody wants to get, to, uh, you know, uh, the down low on what's going on. And there was a UFO witness that was unfamiliar with my work, unfamiliar with Brett, an incredible background. And I won't get into it, but we invited him to, you know, as a, a UFO witness to come see this Bigfoot film because of the ending of this movie is so similar to what this UFO witness, I'm sorry, USO witness USO. underwater. Yeah, not a UFO, USO. Um, and so, you know, he was moved to tears. Uh, he was absolutely, 
I remember watching his head go down at the end of this movie, you know, with a crowd of about 75 to 100 people watching it. And and he was just, you know, there was confirmation that he was not alone as a witness and that this happens outside of this world and it comes from all diverse backgrounds. And that's really the joy of what I like to do is I like to be in the company of people to network them to say, hey, you should meet this person. This is how we can get closer to this here. I'm, you know, I'm not always the source here to interview these people or talk to them. I, I, I try to put people together that can help other people to get this done. And then I kind of take the data. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a lot of a lot of distinct and we're just brushing the surface here. I could get into it deep. Yeah, and I just want to add to that real quick too. That that the some of the similarities, if you if you put Bigfoot contactees or Bigfoot experiencers up with alien abductees or people who have had near close encounters of the third kind, um, you have you you have psychological impact. And you know, a lot of people talk about psychological impact, and, and it's hard to measure. And you know, recent science, medical science, is showing that. that that type of PTSD like trauma will actually leave a, a, an impression on the brain. There's actually a physical bruise, if you will, in the brain that you can see uh, with specialized equipment. And, you know, some of the individuals that we interview in both films were moved or changed dramatically from a psychological standpoint. And that's very important for us to address because it's not talked about enough. You know, again, like I said earlier, a lot of these people become obsessed with seeing another Bigfoot. They become, um, you know, they have nightmares. They, they become paranoid of the outdoors or the nighttime or, you know, you name it. You know, it affects people in totally different ways. Some people, it, it, you know, they're just fascinated by it and that's, that's it. You know, these people might have thick skin, call it what you want. But some of these other people, um, you know, that, that Doug Meacham talks about in our first film, they go under hypnotherapy and um and recall and recount some of these um encounters so that they can kind of go on and heal you know from from their experiences so it's it, it's a big it's a big deal what about for the two of you i mean i can't imagine um getting into this field and seeing what you've seen and documenting all of this and experiencing what you've experienced and then at the end of you know, this two-parter, just move on to some other completely different subject matter. I mean, how, did, I mean, did you become, have you become obsessed with Bigfoot and how is this going to change maybe the trajectory of your, your professional lives and your personal lives going forward? Um, yes. <laughs> right. To answer your question. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I talked to a friend yesterday who's been a Bigfoot researcher for seven or eight years. And this summer he had his first sighting and it just amped everything up. I mean, he was he was in it to win it as it was before. I mean, that was not where he hangs up his research tools, I guess, if you will, or his hiking boots, maybe. Um, and I feel the same way. I mean, it's as far as a career trajectory is concerned, I'm a storyteller. Jill's a storyteller. Um, you know, Tobe's a storyteller. He's got a wonderful podcast. Everybody should go back and listen to Strange Brow Radio um, and tells wonderful stories. We're all storytellers in that, you know, we want to get out and we want to have these experiences firsthand to tell these stories. And we want to give voices to people that don't have voices. So uh, we'll just see. We'll just see where it goes. I, you know, one day I would love to do 
a, a narrative feature film about, you know, that, that falls in line with the close encounters of the third kind, you know, the classic Spielberg film, but throw on a Bigfoot instead of a UFO. Mm-hmm. Oh, how about you? Well, yeah, I mean, Brett's favorite film is my favorite film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And uh, Roy Neary, you know, says when he's making the mashed potatoes over the dinner plate in his family, shooting them weird looks, this means something. This all means something, folks. Something is about to break. Um, all this disclosure stuff just didn't happen. This is all carefully orchestrated as far as us being more in the know about what's going on now are they feeding us a narrative they want to feed us probably but avoid all that something is about to break and bigfoot is a part of i think that whole thing now the native americans would tell you that you know when sasquatch is known to be the world is about ready to end this is one of the things i heard early on from one of the tribes down in northern california um they you know every tribe looks at sasquatch in a different lens but they all pretty much say they are i don't really know of a first nations tribe that says that they're not but they all pretty much say that they are walking between two worlds um so what am i going to do with all this i'm kind of just kind of sitting back and and watching all this stuff kind of coalesce because these dogman stories seem to be just as legit i've interviewed people that have had very compelling experiences with werewolves um and the ufo stuff just is uh, is so fascinating and uh, you know we just had an interview with dr jeff meldrum um, and we should all probably send up some prayer for him because I know he had a, a medical issue here recently. But uh, we talked to Jeff uh, about UFOs in this podcast, and I was shocked to learn that he was following that very closely. I think that's really, I found that deeply fascinating that the scholarly, um, you know, Bigfoot expert is also following this UFO disclosure thing because I think it lays out the groundwork groundwork for how we kind of handle things in the bigfoot world and maybe what we don't do but i don't think we should change the name to uaps um you know (laughs) i still am a big fan of ufos likewise likewise flash of beauty again give us the particulars the details on how we can screen a flash of beauty bigfoot revealed and paranormal bigfoot flash of beauty bigfoot revealed is on amazon uh youtube for rent voodoo Google Play, iTunes, and Tubi. And Paranormal Bigfoot will be released October 17th. The pre-orders are available now. And again, you can follow us on Facebook. Um, just type in Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed will pop up. And you know, both Jill and I like to read every single message that comes in. And if you've got a story, we'd love to hear it. Gentlemen, thank you both. Fascinating. Thank you, Richard. Appreciate it. Thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 